Hello, everyone. I'm Joe Flynn, and today we will be exploring an important topic. Margaret Atwood once said, in the end, we all become stories. And we can use those stories to help children and youth understand the complex and challenging ideas around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Today, we are with Dr. Melanie Koss. Dr. Koss is an associate professor of children's and young adult literature at Northern Illinois University. Her work centers around the representations of diversity in children's and young adult literature and how teachers can effectively use text to encourage critical thinking and understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion. She has also served as the chair of the Michael L. Prince Award for Excellence in Young Adult Literature, and she served on the Caldecott Award Committee, one of the most prestigious awards for picture books. Finally, she served as a board member and workshop co-chair for the Children's Literature Assembly with the National Council for Teachers of English. I'm pleased and honored to have Dr. Melanie Koss with me today. Hi, Dr. Koss. How are you doing? And thanks for joining us. Hi, Joe. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's start out by hearing a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell us who you are and, and uh, what's an important to know uh, and what you bring to this uh, topic. Well, I would say the most important thing to know about me is that I am a reader and a book lover. My world has really revolved from a very young age around books and my love of books. According to my mom, when I was little, I was never happy unless I was surrounded by at least three books. One was not enough. I might finish that accidentally. So I had to have at least three. So reading has always been my passion. It was a way that I escaped in my everyday life. It was a way that I just enjoyed learning about the world. I enjoyed talking about books with my friends. So I would say the best way to describe me is a reader. All right, wonderful. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that you, you started out by saying up front that when you were a, a child, you would have books around you all the time. You know, that makes me want to ask, which is right up front, when you were young, what was your favorite book? That's an illegal question. <laughs> child, that's like asking you, what's, who's your favorite child? So I would say at different points in my life, I had different favorite books for different reasons. Some were not even titles at all. Some are just books because I remember reading them as memories with my grandparents or with my parents. My dad is a great reader. He did all the fun voices. And while some of the books that he read may not have been quality literature or even literature that is appropriate today, because as we know, the nostalgia factor is, is problematic. Some of the books that we grew up loving have some racist or sexist or otherwise problematic content now that we might not have been aware of. But there were just a lot of books that I remember growing up reading that were just memorable to me. But thinking about books that I read on my own and that I really remember loving were two. One was Mandy by Julie Andrews. Edwards, and the other was The Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett, and they both had main characters that loved storytelling and imagination, and I emotionally connected to those characters, even though my life was not even remotely close to being an orphan in England in a cottage or a boarding house. I wouldn't share The Little Princess with children today. It has a lot of racist and problematic content, but it does have that nostalgia factor for me so that my copy is still with me and it holds a lot of special memories to me, but it's one that I think nostalgia is something that's really important to 
realize that just because we loved something as a child does not mean it's still appropriate or relevant in today's context. Mm. Okay. Of course, because I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, I love Judy Bloom. Okay. Uh, yeah, I grew up with Judy Bloom too. I completely remember her. Um, I, you know, she was always just so visionary and, and had such an amazing way of really getting inside um, the young female experience. Um, one of my favorites was Blubber, personally. It's right there, my child. <laughs> Uh, listeners, uh, Melanie is literally, uh, we're on Zoom uh, recording this, and, and Melanie is literally pointing to her bookcase. What pulled you into children's and young adult literature as a matter of study? Well, like I mentioned, I was always an avid reader and a lover of books, and I always wanted to be a teacher. I was one of those people that never questioned what they were going to do when they grew up. I was going to be a teacher. I would line up my stuffed animals and read them books. Reading and learning and teaching were, have always been who I am. And when I went to undergraduate to get my degree in education, I took a children's literature course. And I realized, wait a minute, you can be a professor of children's literature. And the switch went. It was an obvious choice for me. And I vividly remember sitting on the floor of my professor's office, my children's literature professor's office. I was helping her unpack books. And I looked at her and I said, I'm going to have your job one day. And she said to me, if you really mean that, I will help you get there. And she did. So that was the point where you realized the, the power of literature and helping children and youth grapple with social justice issues, or did that come a little bit later? Um, I think that in itself is a gradual process. Because I've always loved reading, I've always believed in the power of books and their importance of learning about oneself and about the wider world. At that point, I don't think I really made the connection to social justice and social justice issues because that had not been a topic I'd ever really thought about or confronted in my life because I was very fortunate and I didn't have to. And when I went to graduate school for my master's, I had the fortune to work under Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop at The Ohio State University. And she is a professor emeritus, but very well known for a metaphor that she coined on mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors, and the importance of children seeing themselves and seeing others in the literature that they engage and read and interact with, but also how literature has the power to transform. And that touched me deeply, but not yet in a social justice way, more of just enhancing the power of literature itself. But the more that I learned about teaching with literature, and the more that I learned about what social justice was and social justice issue, the more natural of a pairing they became. So I've always believed in the power of literature to be used as a springboard for discussion. But it wasn't until I became more aware of social justice issues and the, how critical it is to really address many issues head on that they, to, that they came together for me. When I was younger, I, I did read a lot, but I never considered myself an avid reader. I didn't begin to read um, more voraciously and actually until I uh, got into college. Um, so that kind of makes me want to ask you, 
when you began to make these connections uh, between social justice and literacy, what were the kinds of text as well as personal challenges for you in making those connections and, and really understanding the depth of uh, social justice issues in children's and young adult literature? I think this is one of those, the more you know, the more you know you don't know type of issues for me or, or situations for me. So like hurdles and triumphs go together. The more that I learn about a social justice topic, my own learning evolves. Mm -hmm. So the things that I see in books or the things that I seek out in books also change as I evolve and the way that I can talk about issues in books changes as well. So if I'm unaware of a social justice issue or I don't know some of the history or the nuances, I might completely miss aspects of that issue in a book or I might not know what to look for. I might love a book and then later learn there are significant issues in it or I might really dislike a book and learn to really appreciate it because of the content of that book. So I think it's an evolving process for me and I need to keep learning and listening and trying to do better and then connecting that to the books that I seek out and use with children and use as talking points. I, you know, the way, the way you're talking about this is really fascinating to me because it sounds like you're you're talking about developing relationships with books. I, I, am I accurate in saying that? The books are my people, and book people <laughs> are my people. So yeah, I would. I mean, growing up, I definitely was the child who lived a lot in her imagination, and some of my friends were characters in a book. I still consider books my friends. There are still some books that I will go back and reread every year, because they're old friends, or because they bring comfort. One of the books that I loved when I was growing up was All of a Kind Children. It's a book series about a Jewish family in the Lower East Side in the early 1900s. And I just really loved the books and I loved the characters. And just a couple of years ago, All of a Kind Family Hanukkah came out as a picture book. And the joy that I felt when I first got my hands on this book and revisited old friends and then knew that these old friends were going to get in the hands of children today just made me really happy. That's beautiful. Really, seriously, I'm not, I'm not even being snarky about that at all. That, that it's, so, it, it's, it's, a, it's really refreshing to see um, and, and hear um, the buoyancy and, and ebullience in, in your voice and in, in talking about books and literature. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned that text uh, and that, that series of texts, because you know, there is a lot of powerful literature out there right now. Um, let's talk about that for a minute. What, what are some of the texts right now that you feel are particularly powerful and useful in exploring uh, social justice and or diversity, equity, inclusion issues um, um, in schools? There are so many books out there and there are so many more good ones that are coming out and being published every day, especially in the last five years. There's been a major awareness of the need for significant diversity in children's and young adult literature. I think there's always been an awareness, but there's been a significant push recently. And 
there's just a treasure trove out there of really wonderful titles. And I really think it depends on the age and the developmental level of the children you're using a text with and also your purpose. A couple titles that I, I really like to recommend, especially for younger children, is The Day You Begin. And it's about a child's first day coming into a classroom and really just being in a diverse world and letting everyone know that they matter. Which leads me to a book that came out last week. It's called You Matter by Christian Robinson. And it is a beautiful picture book that just celebrates people and their uniqueness and their individuality. And another book very similar along that vein is called All, All Are Welcome. And I think there are some books that are like these three titles in particular that just help all children know that they're important and they're special and they're valued. And just by starting with a foundation is a great way to talk about everyone's similarities, everyone's special, unique qualities, and letting people know that it's okay to talk about who we are as people and to celebrate who we are as people. I think it's also important to talk about specific issues. Kendi just came out with a board book, which is now being published as a picture book as well, called Anti-Racist Baby. It's nine principles for being an anti-racist. And he's been on the bestseller list for his adult nonfiction, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and the National Book Award winner, Stamped. Uh, yes, yeah, Stamped from the beginning. Thank you, because I have the young adult version, which was co-written with Jason Reynolds, which I highly recommend for young adult readers talking about anti-racism and how to be an anti-racist and the history of racism. So there's a brand new picture book. I'll point to it again. <laughs> anti-racist baby, and it is nine principles on how to be an anti-racist, starting at the very, very youngest age. Because children, by the age of six months, are aware of race. And by two years old, they're aware of differences, and they can tell by parents and by adults whether or not it's okay to talk about or notice race. Mm -hmm. That's the age when a lot of parents or caregivers will tell children that they don't see color, but they do see color. And so I think it's really important to start talking about it. And Julius Lester has a great book called Let's Talk About Race. Picture book, not preachy and really talks about a lot of autobiographical. He's an African-American man and a Jewish man, and he connects some of his history into how to talk about race with others. I can go on. There are so many titles that I can keep throwing well, at you. Yeah, I mean, well, I was, um, I, I, as you were uh, listing those books um, and, and talking about uh, exploring uh, issues of race and racism through uh, children's and young adult literature. And I think those those early texts you were talking about in terms of helping uh, children um, be comfortable and, and, and know that they're valued and appreciated, I thought that was really, really important. But it also made me think about other identities, uh, for example, or experiences. For example, the LGBTQ experience. And um, and and I'll, I'll return to this point in a moment because there are, of course, controversies that are laden um, um, with that. But I was wondering, you know, of any yeah, in, in, interesting titles uh, around LGBTQ issues that teachers can bring into their classrooms potentially. I think a title for 
younger students. I think a lot of people are very concerned about bringing in picture books on LGBTQ plus topics in elementary schools, especially for younger children. And I think in my years of teaching, what I've noticed is the subject topic diversity issue that my students who are teachers or future teachers are most concerned about teaching and bringing into the classroom. It are books that have LGBTQ topics within them. A brand new one that I think is really a positive is It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity. And I am normally a person that if a book has colon, a book about, I always say it's super didactic and I hesitate to look at it in, with an open mind. But this one, It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity, I think is, it does a really good job. It's not didactic. And it's very opening to children that specifically talks about gender identity. A couple of other books that I really like that also refer in, in a very subtle way to gender identity or just the idea of being yourself. And it's okay to have traits that might be traditionally considered masculine or feminine and you just need to embrace what makes you happy is Morris Micklewhite and the Tangerine Dress and Jack Not Jackie. So I think those are some to bring in for the younger age. There are a lot of books that are in the young adult category. There are more coming out in middle grades, but I think the younger picture books for younger children are, there's really a lot more books on the LGBTQ plus topic that are coming out. When, when using a book to talk about social justice issues, um, as we were saying a moment ago, um, there, there can be challenges. So what are some important considerations that teachers and parents for that matter should be aware of in selecting social uh, uh, children's and young adult books around social justice issues? When I think about social justice issues, I really like to make sure that it's broad and it really in captures a lot of the diversity that's in our country and in our world. So I really think about books that tackle not just race and ethnicity, but gender and religion and sexuality and classism and so many different issues that we have, colorism. So I think one of the things I mentioned earlier that especially teachers and parents have to be aware of is this nostalgia factor. A great example are the Little House on the Prairie books. We grew up watching the TV show, The Little House on the Prairie series. So many people read those books. I read those books. I read those books. <laughs> go up and you, if you go back and you read them today you will probably be horrified and there has been a lot of scholarly literature written much of it that is fascinating talking about who wrote it when it was written how that impacts it but those are books that we think about from our childhood we think about fondly but we can do a lot of damage by bringing some books into the classroom if they're isolated and not given an opportunity for discussion. And I think there are two camps. There are people that say we should still bring books in, even if they're problematic, because it's a great talking point and that's a part of our history. And then on the flip side, 
there are a lot of other really good books. So why don't we find really positive or strong books or authentic books and use those? I also think something that's really important is that we need to know who our students and our children are. I don't think we should, we need to be careful about not making assumptions about who they are, what they know, what they live, what they might want to read. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people fall into the trap of, oh, you're a, <laughs> I'm blanking on an example. <laughs> you're X, therefore you like X, uh, therefore you like Y, yes. Right. So I think we can't make that assumption. We might say, like Jason Reynolds recently talked about how all African-American children do not live in the inner city. And even if they do live in the inner city, not every day and every aspect of life in the inner city is full of trauma. And it's okay to just have a book set in a neighborhood that's about somebody losing a tooth. That's about somebody just buying a present for their mother, just having an ordinary day. Matt De La Pena refers to this as diversity 2.0, where for a long time people were talking about how important it was to have diversity in books, but they tended to be issue books. Mm -hmm. We just need books that have characters that are diverse and the authenticness of their culture and their identity and their backgrounds makes them who they are. And that is just... They're a rich, developed character doing whatever they happen to be doing in the story without it being an issue book. So I think that leads me to what's really important for parents to know is to look for stereotypes and hidden messages in books. So many times we get excited and we say, oh, this book has an African-American character. Therefore, we've got great representation. I'm going to put this into my, my library, my child's bookshelf. It's important to read a little bit closer. Is there loaded language? Are there stereotypical illustrations and features? What's, you know, are there stereotypical tropes? So I think it's really important to look at the books carefully and not make assumptions. And then the last point I think I wanna make is that parents and teachers, whether they're conscious of this or not, you're moral gatekeepers. When children are younger, they don't have money necessarily to go into a bookstore and buy whatever they want or even if you go into a library there are still teachers and parents and adults who are in charge of what books children have access to or even if they find a book in a library or bookstore who have to in many ways allow them to take it home or allow them to have it in the classroom so accessibility to books is also something that I think we just, we don't know what our children are going to want to read or need to read at a given point in time. So having a rich variety of books available for them to have access to and time for them to just in, play with and engage with those books is just of critical importance. That's really, really, really fascinating and important advice. I appreciate that. As you were explaining, um, reading and, and looking further into a text before choosing to buy it, um, it made me think of don't judge a book by its cover. You know, like right up front, that's, um, you know, an important edict to continue to follow. But social justice issues can be particularly challenging, if not controversial. Uh, so in light of your, of your last point, how ought teachers and parents go about navigating challenging topics with students? 
This is a really tricky subject and it comes up in my classes on a regular basis. I think everyone needs to figure out their own comfort level in talking about difficult issues, potentially controversial topics. You need to look inside yourself, figure out what you think, and figure out what your comfort level is in talking about it. Because if you come in and you clearly are biased and you bring a book in, you can really sway the opinions of your students or your children for, for better or for worse. So I think you need to figure out, I think teachers need to figure out and parents what their comfort level is and perhaps try to push themselves a little bit I think it's also really important to be open and upfront about the literature you're using and why. I think a lot of teachers who are not tenured, I'll hear a lot, I'm not tenured yet. So even though I really wanna bring this book in or I really care about this topic, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of administration, I'm afraid of parents. And what's interesting to me is they're not afraid of the children in their classroom because they know the children in their classroom are willing to and ready to and able to listen and have a conversation. They're more worried about the parents. So I think teachers need to figure out what their comfort level is and they need to be willing to allow a conversation to happen and take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. Thank you. Um, let's. Uh, with that in mind, let's talk about, um, uh, let's pivot a little bit and, and talk about institutional challenges like clearing books with the school board or a resistant administrator um, or, you know, and maybe the, the general tenor of the community is, you know, uh, resistant uh, at exp uh, with exploring certain issues. What strategies are useful in approaching progressive and, you know, more representational book adoption? That is a really tough question, and it's hard to answer. The National Council of Teachers of English has a Right to Read website, and it has a lot of tips for selecting books and providing a rationale for books or how to handle a situation where a parent or a board member or a community member has an issue with a book that is in a classroom or their child or someone else's child has come into contact with. I think being aware of what books you're choosing and why and creating a rationale is really important. I know there are some school there are some schools where it takes 6 months for a school board to to a year for a school board to approve a book and for whole class use. And so I do have some students who are who say I love this book but I'm not allowed to use it as a whole class read aloud until I have approval. And there are some people that have a lot of flexibility and can bring in whatever you want. So I think it's, if you think there's a book that you know is going to be potentially controversial, I think it's great to be proactive without being, oh, I know this book is going to be controversial, so I'm going to let you know that we're reading it. Maybe in the beginning of the school year, if you know, and it's hard because with a read aloud, you don't necessarily know what you feel like pulling off the shelf that day. But if you're going to do a whole class text or a read aloud that you're going to do for a long time or use in literature circles, maybe send out a letter to parents in the beginning of the year. These are some of the books that we're going to be reading. And just include a list 
And sometimes it's enough to have books available to children without them being used for formal teaching. So most teachers have, and most have the luxury of having a classroom library. Not all teachers do, but if you have the opportunity, sometimes it's enough just to have a variety of books in your classroom library. Having a book on your desk, if a child sees you reading a book, they might be curious and want to take a peek to see what you're reading or book talking, walking in and saying, I read three books this weekend. Oh my gosh, I really enjoyed them. Let me tell you about them. And you hold up three titles and then just put them down. Children who are interested will find them. So there is a way to have books in your classroom without using them for whole class teaching that will give children opportunities to come across a book and hopefully you can build the situation where a child will be comfortable coming and talking to you about a book that they're reading or a question that they have. There's a phrase that there's the right book for the right reader at the right time. Mm -hmm. And I think as parents, as educators, as people, it's our job to provide opportunities for the right book to find the right reader at the right time. Interesting. That's interesting. Um, that makes me want to ask, I, I've heard of this term uh, among English language arts teachers uh, at the K-12 levels, a diversity audit. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about what a diversity audit is and how one you know, can go about doing a diversity audit? You can do a diversity audit on anything. I'm going to talk about books, but I think you can do it with any classroom materials, including posters on the wall. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the idea of a book of a diversity audit is thinking about what do you have in your collection, uh, and then like what do you think you have? What do you actually have? Are there any books that perhaps need to be removed or put into a separate section? And what are your next steps? What's needed? I think a great question to start with is to ask yourself, what do you think you have in your classroom library or in your child's library? And make a note of it because you may be surprised that you don't have what you think you have. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to think about the different diversity, I don't wanna say categories because that seems like you're taking people in lumping them together, but thinking about different diversity areas. You want um, diverse populations in terms of ability level, class, race, or ethnicity, um, gender, sexuality. I'm sure I'm missing several. We want a variety of books. Yeah, you want a broad representation of the community. Yes, thank you. And we need to look, like I said earlier, like below the surface. You need more than just tokenism, more than just the representation. You need authentic and positive representation. So it's not easy to do a diversity audit, especially if you have chapter books or a giant library and how you have them divided. I have often say start with one section mm -hmm. and do a little bit at a time or use your students to help you. So talk with your students and say, hey, I wanna look and see what's in our library. Let's talk about representation. Let's talk about positive representation. Even really young children can recognize if something is 
problematic or something is particularly powerful. And I don't know what might resonate positively or negatively with every single one of my students. So having your students undertake it with you is a great way to start discussion, to think about social justice issues, to think about representation, and a way for everyone to learn. Thank you for that. That's uh, really helpful. Um, as, as we wrap things up, um, what do you think are the most important points that folks should walk away with in terms of children's, uh, children's and young adult literature? I think the most important thing is just the power of literature and what an amazing tool we have at our disposal to start talking about social justice issues. Sometimes it can be really hard to talk about a controversial issue or something that you might not feel completely comfortable with. I might have questions about something that I personally feel uncomfortable or embarrassed or intimidated to ask. But what if I asked it through the lens of a character? Why did Joseph in this book say this or that to that character? Why did Joe choose to act or choose to respond to that situation in this way. So I'm putting that lens of a character. So I have like a third person, I have some distance. So I can ask a question in a safer manner without putting myself maybe in a more uncomfortable light. And I think it's also a way to introduce topics. It's just a natural, let's read a book. Children will see more than you think they'll see. And I think they'll ask a lot of questions. I think the tricky part is you need to be prepared to answer them. Definitely. Well, thank you for all of that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful and, and useful information. Listeners, teachers, parents, by all means, as much as you can, supply your children with books. A world of books, a world without books is a world that we ought not want to live in. And as Dr. Koss is pointing out, there's so much we can take away from uh, diving into uh, that literature. And the, the most important thing, I think, um, along with what Dr. Koss is saying, is books can allow us to learn uh, a lot of different things uh, in developmentally appropriate ways. And we should always uh, honor that, that idea. So Dr. Koss, thank you for your time. We greatly appreciate uh, One more thing? Sure. I thought it might be really helpful to give some websites or some tips for people to find some really authentic and engaging, diverse Absolutely. books. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. What are some uh, websites or hashtags uh, where people can find great resources? I think a underutilized resource is the American Library Association's Book Awards. People know, as you mentioned earlier, the Caldecott Award and the Newberry Award, but they there are so many more book awards where you have dedicated people who are reading hundreds of books every year to find accurate and authentic and high quality books. So the American Library Association, they have the Coretta Scott King for African-American positive representation. They have the Pira Belpre for Latinx. There's the Sydney Taylor for Jewish representation. There's an American Indian children's literature, just to name a few. So. There are a lot available there. We Need Diverse Books, which is a nonprofit, which is also a hashtag, has a lot of resources on their website. 
The Anti-Defamation League has a lot of resources, um, Teaching Tolerance. So there are a lot out there, and I don't know if there's an opportunity for me to provide a list to link on somewhere. I'm uh, just we, will, we can um, post all these uh, suggestions and, and um, websites uh, onto the uh, show's uh, webpage. So definitely, we will uh, share those um, so that people can access them easily. And then one more hashtag, which is hashtag own voices, which is the importance of people in diverse populations getting to tell their own stories. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for all of that advice and direction. Uh, I hope that folks uh, are able to uh, take a lot away from uh, Dr. Costa's ideas and experience and expertise. That brings us to a close of this session of camp. Uh, we appreciate everyone uh, coming out or logging on or <laughs> downloading. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Social Justice Summer Camp podcast series. Uh, we thank you for your time and your attention. Take care. <laughs>